The Career Competitor Podcast is brought to you, as always, by Tall Slim Tees. And I cannot encourage you all enough to head over to tallslimtees.com right now, simply because they offer just about anything and everything you could really need around this time of year, from your basic crewnecks and v-necks to your long sleeve options and also even hoodies and some pullovers just about everything, like I said. And if you need an added incentive to get over to the website right away and check out their wide array of options, then here is one for you. The code CAREER10, that is the word CAREER and the number 10, that if you were to use that at checkout, you will receive a 10% discount on whatever you decide to order. So don't wait any longer. Go check out tallslimtees.com today and find yourself a shirt that fits the way it is supposed to. Let's get to the show. This is the river of life called purpose. I will be better. I'll help others be better. That's who we are as people. And when people realize this, that this is this is our mission. This is what gives our lives meaning. Welcome into the latest installment of Career Competitor, a podcast that is a part of the CG Sports Network. I'm Steve Meller, and we are the show that seeks to light the competitive fire within you in order to succeed within your career. What a fantastic extended edition of the show we have for you today. But before I introduce our very special guest, let me remind you all to check out careercompetitor.com where you can find our episodes, information, and history on the show, as well as connect with me through all our social media handles. Furthermore, if you think you or someone you know could be an ideal candidate for the show, you can contact me directly through the website or at careercompetitorpodcast at gmail.com. Now our guest today is a pioneer of the sport of surfing in its competitive format, who went on to build global clothing brands within the sport and today is motivating people the world over on how to better themselves with a reset that can shape your mindset for a better future. Sean Thompson recently spoke with me to discuss a wide array of topics from his past and also presented some ideals that I know will truly impact all of you listening. At the core of Sean's work today is the belief that we can all establish purpose for ourselves as he believes that the greatest work we do for both ourselves and others comes from the ability for one to have purpose in their day. I encourage you all to pay attention to the way Sean's surfing life has shaped his world today in that the two almost exist hand in hand without, however, necessarily defining who he is, which is a vital lesson for all current and former athletes out there listening. Be sure to stick around at the end of the show to listen to my career competitor, Keys to Success. But for now, let's dive right into my interview with entrepreneur and surfing legend, Sean Thompson, and I hope you all enjoy. Okay, well, I am truly honored to have this opportunity to, to speak with Sean Thompson this evening. Uh, Sean, first and foremost, welcome to the show, and how are you? Great, 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 great to be on the show. Um, Coming to you from uh, Santa Barbara in California. <laughs> Beautiful part of the world. Beautiful part of the world. I've been fortunate enough to see that myself 
uh, once or twice over my years of travel. So, uh, so yes, certainly, certainly envy the type of views I'm sure you get to wake up and uh, go to bed to uh, most days. Uh, but it, a lot of that has to do with your background in the sport of surfing, I assume. And uh, with that being said, Sean, I'd love for you just to kind of introduce yourself here and, and let everybody know who you are, what it is you're doing today. And uh, yeah, just go ahead. Well, I've lived here in uh, in Santa Barbara, in California, for um, uh, for about 25 years. I'm originally from a place called Durban in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Durban. Uh, went to school there. Went to university there. Even even did uh, some time in the army doing my uh, compulsory national service. Um, then I was on the pro tour for many years. I was one of the original uh, group of uh, professional surfers who helped develop professional surfing, along with a group of um, Aussies and, and, and um, Hawaiian guys. So we created a whole pro surfing tour, which was wonderful. We helped build the surfing industry. Uh, I started my first surfing brand when, when I was about 23 years old called Instinct. And then spent about 16 years on the tour, traveling around the world, uh, surfing amazing waves, going to great countries, uh, help, help build this new, new, new uh, sport from a lifestyle into a sport. And uh, after my career was over, I um, I got back into the apparel business. I sold my first company. My wife and I opened another company, uh, started writing books, made a, a pretty cool movie that that some people might have seen. And if you, for anyone that's interested in sport and how, how people can find their, um, you know, find that passion and how they can really make a change in culture and a change in their lives. By, by really getting connected to their, their passion and what you have to do in order to be successful. You've got to bust down the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I was involved in, in, in sort of a number of different waves in, in my career. Obviously, the first one was surfing. The second one was more, more business-orientated around apparel. And then my wife and I sold our company um, in 2005 to a large publicly traded company um and and then we had a terrible tragedy we lost our beautiful son who was 15 and a half at the time matthew um played a dangerous game at school so that really took my 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 life in a completely different direction um i started to write books and and i started to speak um about self-empowerment and how to find your purpose and how to find your passion and how to find your path and how to find your power um, at large groups, small groups, all sorts of groups uh, from the biggest companies in the world to the poorest schools, to the biggest universities to now, now I just speak. It's, it's one, it's wonderful. I speak to these amazing uh, groups of people, PTSD survivors, rehab clinics, massive corporations like Gilead sciences Um and I really get a wonderful insight, I think, into humanity and you know what drives us, uh, what our fundamental uh, mission missions are in life. Uh, and I get people to um, it's called writing your code. Uh, so millions of people have done it, and it's really interesting to see. And it's a super simple process. I say when I when I talk, I I, I give two things. One is I just give a perspective. Um, I don't I don't give a prescription. It's just a perspective of, of my life that I've lived. Um, and then I show them um, this code that came from surfing. And I get everyone together to write 12 lines. 
every line beginning with I will. It's just a simple 20 minute exercise in visualization, um, in commitment, um, in envisioning. And it's a simple way to find your purpose. Um, and, and for many people, purpose is very complicated. Like, you know, what's your fundamental purpose? And this little exercise really helps people understand their purpose. And it also helps people understand everyone else's purpose. So it helps people understand um, the meaning of life. Um, and ultimately, it's a, it's a great way to connect people because people realize that we are bound by these shared values. We're bound by the same commitments and that we're way more similar than we are different. You know, you have these crazy leaders who are out there touting their own vision of the future and and there's like a chasm between us, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or, you know, right across the world, there are these big chasms that are created by these so-called leaders who we vote for. And most of them, are, are, I think, are pretty clueless in terms of how to bring people together. And I found that this little code, it's super powerful and very efficient, very elegant. And I like to say that the code it's open source code. Anyone can use it. There's no royalty. There's no fee. It's free. So, uh, you know, I encourage people all over the world just to use it. 12 lines, every line beginning with I will, write it down. You know, find your purpose, find your power, find your path. It's simple. It's it's so simple that it, it's almost like a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love it. And I, you know, Sean, when I, you know, I, I almost uh, when I when I read an article that you wrote recently, kept going over this uh, before this interview. This, and we'll get to this a little later on. Otherwise, we won't talk about anything else because I because I am because I am so I I did connect with it on so many levels that for me personally, I was just so even though I was obviously already excited to have the chance to speak with you, this particular article really just hit me on a, on a number of levels in terms of just the work I've been doing on myself now for a few years. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't want to get into it straight away simply because I, this will just be the entire interview because I, I would love just to learn going back to those you know, 16 years on the tour and the, the surfer that you were for so many years. And, you know, surfing is, is a sport where you really do embody the identity of, of being a surfer. I think a lot of sports, when you're on the playing field, so to speak, you can be that version of yourself and then you can go away and maybe be a different version. But surfing is everything, right? In terms of your life, in terms of who you are as a being, the identity that you had, I assume, during those years as a surfer. Could you could you really connect with any other identity aside from I'm a surfer and that's that? <laughs> it is all encompassing. It's absolutely, totally absorbing. Um, and even even now, you know, my my pro pro surfing days are, are long behind me, but I, I'm I'm still like the surfer guy. You know, if I go and speak at a big uh, conference and I'm speaking with with sort of well-known speakers or or, or well-known uh, people, it's like uh, that, that's the surfer guy. So so surfing is, um, and I'm proud of it, and I love it, and I'll be the surfer guy all day long. Um, because surfing has given me, it's given me everything. It's given me, you know, a career, a wonderful life. It's given me this amazing 
connectivity to nature. It's given me an understanding of myself. It's given me an understanding of the world. It's given me an understanding of other people. It's surfing has just been um, amazing to me. But it is it is absolutely all encompassing. But it's like surfing. You live that surfing life. You know, we'll wake up you know before dawn and you know we'll drive 50 miles and you know to crack the, the right tide at the particular right spot and the surf might be 15 feet or the surf might be 10 feet and you know maybe there's a chance when you paddle out there you know you're going to get the best wave of your life or the worst wave of your life maybe you're going to have an encounter with with 50 dolphins maybe you're going to have an encounter with with a great white shark, there's this element of, of uncertainty, which I think makes it incredibly alluring, um, and it makes it obsessive as well. Um, I think the obsessive nature of, of surfers, um, I think is rare in sport, or it's rare in art or, or lifestyle. You, you know, surfing, it's not like, well, it's a sport, there's a lifestyle element, there's an artistic element to it as well. So it, it does have this sort of multi-dimensional aspect to it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's why people build their lives around it. I mean, I've got a lot of you know friends of mine in their 50s and 60s, and they're still as enthused now um, as they were when they were teenagers. You know, they still dream about going on that trip to the Mentor Islands or going on that trip to Jeffrey's Bay or um, it, it does, you know, become part of your, of your core being. Um, and it does become part of your, yes, it becomes part of your identity, but, but deeper than that, it becomes part of your soul. Mm. I love that. I love that. And Cause it's funny. I, I come from the sport of swimming and, and so for me, the joke always was growing up that you could you could pick a swimmer out of a lineup just by seeing them in their clothes because swimmers have a, a specific body type uh, that comes with the territory and you know for for surfers i don't think it's mm -hmm. too disconnected i think surfers as well yeah yes there's it's very it is, you know, they have that kind of that sort of wedge uh -huh. look absolutely but you know there is interesting um there's something about people who live in that fluid state um you know swimmers have that as do surfers they have that sort of rhythm and that connectivity and that flow through water you know when you see a great swimmer swim any of the stroke of this sort of amazing way in which they sort of languidly flow through water and the best surfers too have this wonderful style where yes they're connected to the water by this little sliver of fiberglass that might be you know two and a half inches thick um but still they still have this sort of a, a connectivity um, and movement through water like like swimmers do there, there there's a wonderful connectivity there between them yeah and the one thing sticking with this sticking with this theme of this fluidity as you put it i love that term because for me in the sport of swimming for example you always say 
the 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 most natural and most competitive and most successful swimmers they make it look easy that's always the term mm-hmm. that's used and with a sport like surfing that ability to become one with the water very much mirrors that same idea very much so uh-huh. one thing i would love to the one thing i would love to learn more though is how did you find that ability to flip some sort of competitive switch within that sort of calm uh, easygoing vibe that comes with the surfing community there's obviously this hugely competitive element to the sport as well how did you find the ability to to go from maybe a state of of that comfortable environment that natural environment and then suddenly be able to say okay this is a competition now now this is where i have to find that competitive edge in what i'm doing yeah i think um it's interesting that that the competitive aspect of, of surfing is not an integral part of of what surfing is. You, you play a game of tennis, even recreationally. It, it's all about competition. You play a game of rugby, football, baseball, whatever it is. You know, tennis is is sort of an integral part of that particular game. But surfing is way more about free expression and and uh, pushing your own limits, connecting to nature. So when they added on the the competitive aspect to surfing in the 60s. Um, and I surfed in my first competition in uh, 1967. I mean, I learned the system. And and all it was is, you know, you, you had to learn the system. And that's what I did. I learned the system. Um, also, I was very, very focused and competitive, very, very driven. Um, and also, I think I had I had a good ability um, and I think all great sportsmen have to have this ability uh, to be able to still your mind. Uh, I think it's really important to be still internally um, because there was a lot of surfers who, in free surfing sessions, were just like mind-bogglingly good. I'd watch them and go, this guy's going to blow my doors. But then they couldn't handle the stress and pressure um, of competition, they weren't able to still their mind. Um, and I think it's a very much of, of an overlooked um, technique, this technique of, of stilling and emptying, um, ent- emptying your mind so that the matter and what you have to do is very simple and it, it almost happens um, without thinking, which is very best moments, the very, very best moments in surfing. And perhaps, uh, you know, surfers might argue it's the very best moment in sport is when you ride inside the tube. So you ride inside the spinning tunnel of water, um, right on the cusp when the surf is very, very dangerous between life and death. And you're in this state, what the famous Hungarian psychologist Miha Csikszentmihalyi calls the state of flow, absolute focus in absolute command um, of your mind, body, and soul. And I used to feel that when I was in that state and inside the tube, and that's sort of my contribution to, to surfing, was that I created a revolutionary new technique for riding inside the tube, actually riding inside the tube instead of just going in a straight line inside the tube. I was able to still my mind and you feel like you can slow down time and that time is expanded 
And then in the very, very best tubes, you feel that you can curve that wall to your will. But the very best tubes happen when you're operating on instinct. And that's what I called my first brand, my first clothing label, right? which, which grew into, into uh, you know, a, a nice size brand around the world. And we sold in 13 countries. I called it instinct because the best moments in surfing are inside the tube and the best tubes happen when you're operating on instinct. And it's very reflective of, of all competition that those moments when, when sportsmen are, are operating on that outer edge of their ability, you know, pushing, pushing it to the max, they're operating with a clear, still mind um, that is almost in a way thoughtless and they're operating on, on, on instinct. And those are, that's the sensation that they call flow today, you know, that psychologists call flow. Um, but it was nice. I called, you know, my company instinct back in the, in the seventies. Yeah. It's nice to see that, 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 that state is now reflected in psychological studies about um, sport and optimal performance. Yeah, and I, I think this is always the the, the the cool component to a lot of the philosophies that are always exercised and demonstrated and valued in a modern day era is that if you go back decades, you can see where the evidence of, of these happenings began. You learn from people like yourself in the late 60s, early 70s that were creating ways to do things that few, if any, had been able to do before. And in order for you to get to these historic heights, you had to find a, a level of mentality or a level of being, let's say, that was something that people weren't willing to maybe discover. They weren't willing to put themselves in a position to discover such a mindset. And here you are years and years later down the line, and these terms like, flow state and you know working on instinct these are so commonly yeah. used now in the sporting world but but this is something that decades ago here you were showing that this is the first signs of the of human beings actually willing to put themselves physically in a position where they require this specific mental state and i i just find that just in incredible simply because I'm talking to someone who who is a part of history. That's that's the that's the big big elephant in the room, so to speak. Um, but secondly, for me, I just love the way in which you connect that to your ability to compete. That it wasn't about raising what you were doing; it was actually stilling what you were doing. And I I think that is something that so many competitors in any walk of life can really learn from, because I think everybody puts that pressure on themselves to move upwards in some way in order to perform when really just need to find a more level calmness to what you're doing to exercise this instinct that you talk about and that's to me is just a wonderful sentiment and when did you start to maybe notice that this was something that was maybe separating you or did you notice it more in other competitors as the years went by yeah no i always knew that that was a you know terrific um a terrific asset but you know i think what what's important is that you know one might think that that it's kind of a sleepy vibe but it's not sleepy at all you know you're waiting and your heat's coming up and the surf's 10 to 12 feet at the banzai pipeline and the heat before you a guy's gone into the reef head first and brain damage and they've taken off in the ambulance and yes you know there there is there is that level of of stress and anxiety before before a heat 
but I found that it miss that that I would um I had a super simple routine. Um, I found that the a routine prior to your heat was was very very stilling. Um, I used to, uh, and I tell young sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll you know young guy will ask me for help and I'll say you know it's it's really simple you've just got to you've got to your routine you've got to have your bag with all your stuff in it you know you go down the beach you have a bag put all your stuff in the bag you know whatever type of athlete you are you have everything in one place um, and you're organized so there's no like running around before a heat like where's my wetsuit where's my fin I mean, the amount of times I've been down at surfing competitions and I've had some of the best surfers in the world run up to me before a heat. Hey, you know, can I borrow a fin? Have you got a spare fin? I lost my fin. I'm, I'm going, like, be a professional, man. You know, just right. stuff in a bag. <laughs> you don't have to, and, and, it, and it creates sort of that, that, that stilling motion. Then, I, you know, I would sit by myself before a heat, you know, not be around people, not be around anyone else's energy but myself and just quietly watch the ocean. And then, you know, 20 minutes before with plenty of time, I'd go and get my singlet and I'd always be the first guy to paddle out in the lineup. And, and I had that same routine whether I was competing at Billy Heads in Australia or the Banzai Pipeline in Hawaii or Jeffrey's Bay in South Africa. So it, it was very, it, it, it was a, a very simple routine that, that, that helped me uh, still my mind. And I, I very seldom, I think throughout my career, lost the heat by making a mistake from pressure. Um, I felt my system was a great system. And I would see a lot of guys crack up. Uh, but I, I mean, yes, you know, in the heat, you might make a mistake, you might take off on the wrong way, you know, but seldom would I fold. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't remember, you know, ever folding and, you know, gagging on a maneuver because I was I was overly stressed. I had a good, a good system, and it, it worked well for me. And I really felt that I was able to maximize uh, my talent. So you know, with me, there was always the duality, and there was a conflict between this, in some ways, the spiritual element of surfing, and the competitive element. You know, there always had to be that, that balance. And I never thought of going surfing is going practicing you know for me the best parts of my surfing were, were were outside of competition yes i love competition too um but i i really i think i just loved it loved the connectivity to the ocean loved that you know pushing my own limits and, and i think that all the way through until a few years ago man i was still going at the absolute outer edge of my ability on every every session and I loved it. I loved that feeling of pushing oneself. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more relaxed now in the surf, but uh, I, I loved that, you know, I could push myself and it was, it gave my life a lot of, a lot of challenge and meaning. And, you know, we certainly share that in terms of just maybe a, a time in our life where we, we thoroughly enjoyed the, the challenges that came with, as some people would call training, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm right there with you in my years as a swimmer. I, Rarely did I sort of get to a point where I was uh, daunted by what was coming in a in a practice or a training session or or, or even a, a competition for that matter. Like it was it was always opportunistic. It was always a you know opportunity to get better to 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 make that connection as you put it with either the process of getting better or just simply the skills at hand. 
So uh, certainly a lot of similarities in that regard in terms of our our mindsets. But I want to stay with that theme of. of I'll tell you what. You know, I I, I want to just say, say say one thing. Yeah. So. Okay, during my pro career, I won 19 events. Uh, I won the world title. I only won it once. Very, I came very close in, in 1985. And, um, you know, I would read uh, sports biographies and autobiographies. I used, to, I used to love to read what other sportsmen thought about sport. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'd read the articles that were written about them and, uh, of course, you know you know Mark Mark Spitz, the sure. second greatest swimmer of all time, <laughs> right? Um, and I met Mark. We were actually inducted into the into the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame and wow. in Israel together, which was 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 a great moment. Yeah. Um, but I remember reading. He, they asked him um, asked him about his philosophy of winning, and uh, his statement was, first is first." And second is nothing. And um, it very much aligns with this philosophy of, you know, this amazing uh, football coach here, a guy called Vince Lombardi, mm. a legend in the United States. And, uh, you know, his big statement that's attributed to him is winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Mm. And Yes, while I was a sportsman, I, I could never subscribe to that philosophy. Hmm. Yes, I love to win, and I thought you had to put everything in it, but but winning isn't everything. I, I disagree, and I don't think first is first and, and second is nothing because there's a tiny, tiny fraction of the population um, that will win. Hmm. But still, when you put it on the line and you push yourself to the max, even though you don't win, it can still be unbelievably satisfying. And the one's uh, evaluation of oneself is not always defined just by the number. Um, I mean, one of my greatest victories was sixth place out of six at the Smirnoff Pro in Hawaii in 1975. You know, I proved to myself that even after like a horrifying wipeout, I could paddle back out. And for me, you know, I think it's it's important in today's world that that it's not like I believe that every single person gets a trophy just for showing up. Um, you know, people say, oh, we molly, molly coddling young people and everyone gets a trophy. That's that's not what I subscribe to. But I subscribe to you from a personal perspective. When you put it on the line, and you go for it, and you give it, and maybe you won't win, but there's great pride, and there's great power in giving it. Mm-hmm. You give it, and that's the reward because you've given it. You've given it everything, and and it might sound a little bit too much like amateur idealism from the Olympics in the 20s, I've, I've always subscribed to that um, to, to that philosophy. Yeah, and I, I have to agree because, I mean, so my my full-time job, I'm a, I'm a collegiate swim coach, and a lot of my messages can sometimes be 
misunderstood as someone who's trying to push you to win when I'm actually trying to push you to be your optimal self. Exactly. And a lot of totally. a lot of the discussions a lot of the discussions we have on this show is about exactly that because as a like the career competitor as a title for this show when I when it first began over 2 years ago it was a purposeful title because being competitive isn't about winning. Being competitive is about pushing oneself to one's greatest ability in my in my personal opinion that's that's what i believe to be competitive i think our greatest competitor in life we just have to look into a mirror and and, and that's if we can if we can allow that person to be the greatest version of themselves then then we're winning we're, yeah. we're, we're competing and we're winning and so you are, let me tell you you are 100 percent correct so so let me tell you this so when I do these events, and I speak to a lot of people, maybe fifty to 100,000 people a year. So, I mean, I've spoken to lots and lots of people over the years. Hmm. So, over the last um, sort of six months since COVID hit, and I moved all my, my uh, keynotes and workshops virtual, I have really cool interactivity uh, with the audience. And I used to have it when I used to do my... Um, my events in, in you know in big orders as well. So I would ask people, send me one line when they write the codes, send send me send me a send me a line. And people will send me these lines of code and it all comes up on the screen. And it's it's amazing to see to see what everyone writes about who they want to be and where they want to go and what change they want to make. You know, I'll be a better father or I'll be a lifelong learner. Or I'll do what I say I will do. P people write amazing, amazing words. But everyone only writes two lines. And I've read millions of lines of code. So all the amazing stuff that I've read, I will pray, I will have faith. Um, I'll be the best version of myself. I'll be the optimal version. I mean, pe people write really profound stuff. People write two lines. So the one line they write, which ties into what you've just said about people being optimal version of yourself, people write, I will be better. Okay. This is a fundamental life purpose. I will be better. So that's one aspect of what the meaning of life is. That's half of it. I will be better. The other half is I will help others be better. So whatever you want, whatever anyone writes fits into one of those two interconnected rivers. I call it the river of life and the two tributaries are I will be better. This is the river of life called purpose. I will be better. I'll help others be better. That's who we are as people. And when people realize this, that this is this is our mission. This is what gives our lives meaning. We want to be better. Yeah, we want to be the best we can. We want to learn. We want to be better. We want to be a better dad. We want to be a better mom. We want to be a better coach. And then you want to help others be better too. So it's it's beautiful when people have this realization. How 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 bloody interconnected are we? Yeah, yeah. So it's and pretty I, awesome. But I, it's how how yeah. simple is that? How simple? <laughs> and isn't that funny though the you know the, the simplicity of all this and yet 
the inability that we have um, to be able to implement it each and every day. And I think, yeah. you know, the 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 one thing that I'm noticing so much with everything that you're saying here, Sean, is that is your level of awareness. And I think I think with purpose comes awareness because the 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 purpose. And I I would love to use this as an opp- opportunity now to transition more into in, into what it is you you spend so much time talking about now in in, in all these spe- uh, speeches that you do. You know, for me, that awareness is becomes so much more conscious. Your, your awareness becomes something that is such a big, bigger part of your conscious state when you have a very clear purpose. And I think so often when we are without purpose, we can go many, many hours during the day and really not pay attention to what it is we're doing. So suddenly we're now without awareness. And, and, and so for me, this is something that, going back to my point I made early on, of the work I've been doing on myself, so much of it has started with are you aware of what you're doing are you aware of how you're coming across are you aware of how you're being received and and for me for for me to actually establish my purpose each and every day i've always felt as though it's it's vital for me to know how aware i am of of all of the many facets to my day in my role as a father in my role as a husband in my role as a coach so with that being said I don't know whether any of that sort of connects with you in terms of the discussions that you have with regards to being purposeful, but it just seems to me as though so much of what you're telling me here from over the years, you've always had an innate ability to be very aware of, of your actions and your behavior. Is, is that accurate? Very much so. I mean, I always think that I always had uh, a great empathy for people and a great deal of respect and empathy and respect, I think, are, are, are very interconnected. And I think that certainly came came from my mom and dad. You know, you you spoke to everyone the same, you know, regardless of, you know, I grew up in apartheid segregated South Africa, but, but you know, with my parents, everyone was treated the same way with respect, whether they were a black, white, brown, um, doesn't, doesn't matter whether a person's a CEO or whether a person is a, you know, just a young kid coming up to you after you've lost a super close heat for an autograph. You know, you, you you've got it. I felt it's it's really easy just to treat people the same way. So I, I always had this, um, I think, awareness that you know, as an athlete and as a successful athlete, you know, your fundamental role is to inspire, and you've got a responsibility to to be respectful to people when they come to you and they, you know, it's not like they want a piece of you. They just want to, uh, they, they just want to connect. And, and I think you have great responsibility, you know, to be, to be warm, to be open, to be respectful, to be, um, to be well-mannered. And it's the same. I think that, you know, when I, when I, when I uh, do these events and workshops, you know, I'm not up there with my finger wagging around telling people this is the path and, and this is the way. Um, I don't think people like that. I would prefer to be softer, um, warmer, more empathetic, and, and just reveal a perspective and tell some stories about my life that I'm hoping will enlighten people to some of the decisions that I made. Um 
and perhaps through my perspective, people can see their own perspective. And that's kind of what I try to do. And then I show the code and get people to, to write the code. So my presentations are very simply constructed. You know, tell four stories or five stories about purpose and passion, and I'll reveal how the code works, show the code in action, get everyone to do it. Um, and then hopefully everyone goes home just with with a, a renewed enthusiasm, um, with some hope about the future. Because also what I do, and you, you, you'll find this, I think, interesting being a coach, is that when I've been starting my presentation since COVID, since March, I start up and I say, I want one word from everyone in the audience. And they text it to me or, or, or they, they send it to me just via the web and it comes up on the screen. I want one word, one word that reflects how you're feeling right now. One word. Send me a word. So hundreds of these words will bomb in on the screen and they'll create a word cloud. So if you've got a thousand people, you've got a thousand words coming in, but, but there'll be a word cloud created. So, so the most commonly uttered words or the commonly written words will be larger. So let me tell you what the words are. And this describes the mindset. I call it a sad mindset, SAD mindset, stress, anxiety, despair, and depression. Stressing, anxiety, despair, and depression. That's, those are the words. So that's about 80% of the words that bomb in at the beginning of the event. So now I ask people, give my perspective, show them how the code works. Everyone writes their code. It's 20 minutes and then everyone writes their code. And then I go, okay, now one line that's about you being better. And the lines come in and they fill the screen. Wow. And it's amazing. And people see and, be and become so uplifted by everyone else's words. And then I say, okay, now send me one line in about helping others be better. I'll be a better friend. I will volunteer. And these beautiful, beautiful commitments, these promises that people may come in, it goes from 20% positive to 100% positive. Mm. So in, in two hours, that's a mindset change. Okay, how long is it going to last? We've done some academic studies. It's been positive after three months. It's been positive after six months. It's been positive after nine months. We haven't studied it beyond that. But this little reset, I like to think that my code, it's like a little reset button. People can come and hear me and, okay, it's two hours. It's a bit of a time commitment, but boom, you've made a reset. You've written your code, 12 lines every line beginning with, oh, well, it's not my code. It's your code. All I'm giving is a structure. The surface code was given to me through surfing because it just came out of surfing. And this sort of turned into this whole wave of speaking to people now and getting them to write their own codes. And it's just sort of taken my life you know, in a completely different path. And then when I lost, when my wife and I lost Matthew, um, I, uh, I really, really focused on it because I, I came to realize and I went back to grad school, man. I went back. 
to university. Oh, I was like, good for you. <laughs> they went back and did a master's at like, um, sure, man, I must have been, the, I was the oldest dude in the university. <laughs> I think I was older than the oldest lecturer. But it, but I did a master, a master's in leadership, master of science and leadership. And I came across amazing studies. And, you know, I read 108 books over that 18 month period, 108 Jeez. books. I mean, it was like intense. It was amazing. But um, I really um, came to, to realize that, that the only way we can make change in our lives is through decisions. You know, the decisions we make are what makes the change. You know, you've got to make a decision. You've got to decide and do. Um, and I felt that the code was a great way to help people through this process. And uh, poor decisions, which no one knows this. I mean, very some people do, very few people do. But, but the, the biggest social problem, one of the biggest social problems in, in the world today is poor decisions and uh, poor decisions that ultimately result in death. So preventable death is a big issue. A million Americans die every year from poor decisions. Out of 2.4 million, 2.1 million deaths are preventable. So these are all deaths related to decisions. Someone's drugging, someone's drinking, someone's driving, Someone's playing risky games. Something. Someone's getting involved with <coughs> gang-related activity. Someone's eating crap food. Uh, this is all documented. So, how can you improve decision making to ultimately result in more positive decisions? And and you know maybe my motivation, ultimate motivation behind this is, you know, because of what happened to my beautiful son. He made a poor decision, played a dangerous game he heard about at school. <clears throat> You know, we don't know whether it was a peer pressure, was it uh, just something you heard about at school? I, you know, we'll never really know, but it destroyed us. And these decisions like this are destroying families all over the world. And um, maybe this little tool that I discovered can help people. Open source code too, free, use it, share it. Surfing gave it to me. I'm giving it to everyone else. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. Honestly, I do. And, and, and again, this was, and I encourage everybody just to go to the striveproject.com and, and read this article. It, it, it took me about five or 10 minutes over my morning coffee to, to read through it. And uh, actually went back and read through it again uh, in parts as well, because so much of it just, just hit me. And, you know, the, the premise, the, the catalyst, if you will, for, for everything you've gone on and done uh, comes from this example of a poor decision. And uh, again, so much of what I've always been trying to do with this with this little little podcast of mine is is empower people to make better decisions, just to just to prioritize themselves more often than not, and that. Awesome. Yeah, like that's that's a good decision. Just prioritizing yourself some days is is a great decision, um, and then other days prioritizing other people is a great decision. Um, and, and I think so much of of what we're trying to do uh, as as people, um, like you said, you know, if we can just kind of get out of our own way sometimes. And I say that to my athlete. I've lost count of how many times I've said that to my athletes over the years. Yeah the biggest issue that you have is that you're you're getting in your own way you're getting in your own way and you know so for me 
for me to hear someone like yourself who's been doing what you've been doing now so successfully and i love that you make it your message is an offering you're offering a perspective you're not you're not delivering a perspective it's it's an offering it's there for people to 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 take seriously or not take seriously and uh, i think the 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 reasons behind it when you go back to passion when you go back to the finding that path to having that power those sort of words really just every every time i read those words in this article it just like it was like a you could have capitalized and bolded them every single time uh, for them to make that sort of an impact on me every time i sort of went through that and uh just to kind of bring this conversation to a close here sean just in in whatever your words may be here just describe how you want people to establish their purpose let's say on a on a day-to-day basis how would you maybe impart some some final words of wisdom on hey listen if if you're going to find purpose in what you do here's a very clear-cut way to at least get started so i really encourage um people to do this code process you know a couple of years ago there's a great hawaiian athlete young surfer his name was zeke and he's having a go on the pro tour and he couldn't get out of 25th place 25th 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 i sent him an email i said hey zeke do this process it takes you 20 minutes just bust out a sheet of paper write 12 lines every line beginning with i will it's really simple. It's just a way to clarify your thoughts. It's a way to focus. It's a way to find your purpose, find your power, and find your path. And it's built around this super simple equation. I will equals power. I will equals power. And I get, when I do these events with schools and universities, I get, I get young people chanting, I will equals power. They scream, they thunder, the auditorium shakes. Our will equals power. Our will equals power. Because like we both are aware, the only way to make change in your life is through the decisions you make. This little mantra can help you make good decisions. So for everyone out there that's listening to to, to tie this up, write your code, 12 lines. Every line begins with our will. Now what that is, that's your purpose. That's your path. And I wrote mine like 20 years ago. And I still carry my code, my surface, I call it my surface code card. I carry it around with me. I put it in my wallet. There it is. You can see it there in my wallet. Right front and center. (laughs) And right there. And you know, when things go sideways, like they do in life, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll open mine and I'll, I'll read my own words to myself because they're my words. They're not anyone else's words. When, when people, when you write your code, it's not Sean Thompson's code. It's, you, it's your code. You can call it what you want. You can call it a swimmer's code, a musician's code. You can just call it Jack's code or whatever. But my words and my first line, I will never turn my back on the ocean. I will always paddle back out. I will take the drop with commitment. My words have incredible resonance to me, to me, because they're my words. 105 words that I wrote in 20 minutes so, so many, so many years ago. And 
I'll, I'll tell you this too. So I was sitting in the lineup at Rincon and a guy paddled up to me. He's a headmaster at a local school. He said, Sean, I'd like you to come and talk at my school. It's called Anna Kappa School. We only have 80 students. My book, my first book, Surface Code, had just been released. I'd lost, my, I'd lost Matthew maybe six months before. And I was chatting to the kids. And when I was chatting to the kids, I said, you know, Surface Code's my code. I wrote it. 12 lines. Every line begins with our will. I wrote it in 20 minutes. Every, <clears throat> every word has special resonance for me. And I just had an idea. And I said, what's your code? Why don't all of you write your code? 12 lines. The first time I ever did it. 12 lines. Write it in 20 minutes. And send it to me. 80 kids. I got back about 1,000 lines of code. And you know, the very first line of code I got back, very first time I did this exercise and the very first line of code I got back from a young girl, her name was Elena Alcera. I will be myself. Wow. I will be myself. Like you said, you tell your athletes, get out their way. Those words, based on what had happened to our beautiful son, they were so inspiring to me that I wrote a second book called The Code, you know, built around these, these concepts. But those words, I will be myself, were incredible. So for anyone that's listening that, you know, might have a family, I encourage you, write the code with your family. Sit down with your husband, sit down with your wife, sit down with your children, and you write your code together. It's just 20 minutes. It's so simple. Um, and it's powerful. And then you all share your code, you know, after you've written it together, or if you're in a sporting team, or if you're in a, um, a team at work, all of you, just write your codes together, 20 minutes, and then stand up one at a time and you read your codes. You read your 12 to other people. Creates this level of commitment, creates this level of accountability, creates this amazing emotional connectivity. It unites people at, a, at, at sort of a deep level. And together you create this positive wave of hope because that's what the world needs right now yeah absolutely wow just amazing stuff and uh, just dissecting everything and and you know you just showed me what what's in your wallet i'll show you the notes that i was taking throughout our discussion um i think i probably set some sort of personal record for for <laughs> notes in an interview um but the one thing i love here sean is that at one point here in the interview, you, you explain how you were raised and you explain those sort of ideals. And here you are today now in this position and so much of your work actually goes right back to these very same ideals that you were raised on. And for me, that's what I love about the, the you know, let's use that word connectivity as we have so much within this interview. Connecting that, that young version of Sean uh, in his purest form as a child, learning these traits and ideals. And here you are today, decades on, and imparting these same ideals on so many people in in this in this method with your code. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do it tomorrow. I'll make that promise to you right now. You know, I'm gonna sit down tomorrow and who knows, maybe I'll even uh, pull my wife in to do it with me. Uh, you know, I think it is a incredibly powerful exercise. And if it gives anybody some added purpose in what they do then why the heck would you not do it um so 
Sean, wow, I, I could probably keep talking to you for another two or three hours, uh, honestly. Uh, such, such wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for for just bringing so much honesty, so much purity to, to, to this discussion. And um, honestly, it's been, it's been, all the pleasure has been mine and, and just such an honor to have this opportunity to speak with you. So thanks again for joining us. No, thanks for thinking of me and, and I'm hoping everyone enjoyed it and, and uh, write and share your code. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> and my thanks again to Sean for joining us on the show today. And as always, we'll finish with my career competitor keys to success, starting with my competitive call. I'm going to go with poise for this episode. I feel this is the trait that best represents what Sean referenced when he would be in the most intense moments of competition and find a way to remain still, despite being in the midst of life-threatening positions when taking on the most challenging of skills out in the ocean. Yes, he would empty his mind in order to enter flow state, but that was following years and years of growth and building awareness to his surroundings. We probably encounter some sort of threat to our temperament on a daily basis, and from a career standpoint, it's important to seek a calmness within you in order to best assess and respond to each given situation. This ever-evolving balancing act of finding the optimal way to assess and respond will develop a great poise within us to handle any potential conflict, eventually becoming an instinct we can trust to keep us poised in any moment. Next is my teachable takeaway. What is your routine to be a professional? If we ever need an example of the power a routine can have on a person, reflect on the turmoil of 2020 and what that did to so many that had that daily routine turned upside down. Behind any successful performer is a routine of consistency, habits, if you will, that allow them to remain completely present in their process because each step of the way has been thought out and rehearsed to avoid any potential problems coming up regarding things that are actually within our control. So take time to think about what your routine looks like prior to a performance and ask yourself if it is built to allow for optimal success. And finally, my motivational move, always be yourself. That's right, I am stealing the first line of code Sean ever received from the young girl that told him I will be myself. On every episode of this show, I am always trying to present offerings like Sean does in his speeches, where you have the option to incorporate a trait, an idea, a philosophy into your daily life. But at no time am I ever challenging you to change who you are. If you're a college grad or were unemployed and are moving into a new field, or maybe an athlete having to demand more of yourself to achieve new heights, of course there will be sacrifices and things you must be willing to change, but a version of yourself has to remain at the core of who you are. So go and chase that sought-after promotion, that new career, or that gold medal, but find a way to do so being some version of your truest self. And that is it for my keys to success, and that is it for this episode. I'm so glad and appreciative that you decided to take the time to listen in. In the meantime, best of luck with everything that you've got going on, and I'm really excited to be bringing you yet another episode of Career Competitor very soon. Bye for now. <laughs>